listening to Salam Doll, the podcast where Muslim women don't fit the stereotypes, we break them. I'm your host, Zara Pedersen. You can find this episode and the full archive of all the episodes on zarapedersen.com. Welcome to the show. Salam Doll and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am really excited to be sharing today's episode with you guys because... As some of you may be aware of, this year, on the 7th of June, my first book will be published in like mainstream publishing here in Denmark, which to me is a pretty big deal and also has been a lifelong dream of mine. So I'm really, really excited about that. And inshallah, we will also be getting some international deals so that guys in England, you guys in America, guys all over the world, the world are going to be able to get a hand, get your hands on this particular book as well. Inshallah, so pray for me, keep me in your du'as so that that will be a thing that can happen as well for me and this particular book it's a novel a two-part series that I have been dreaming about writing and thinking about writing for a good part of a decade so it's finally happening and I'm really excited about it but this process of a writing the book and b getting a publishing deal made me realize that we need far more awareness on bringing a lot more diversity on the bookshelves in the shops. In particular, I'm talking about, you know, female minorities, the brown woman, the black woman, the Muslim woman, you know, that kind of diversity. And that is why I am so excited to share with you guys today's episode and today and introduce you to today's guest. Today's guest is Sarah Rahmer. She's a Copenhagen-based spoken word poet and author with Palestinian roots. Her writing is centered around promoting diversity in literature and reclaiming the narrative of the minority woman. She writes for TV and theater with the intention of elevating minority voices and counteracting stereotypes. Just my kind of girl all around, let's be real here. Sarah is also an improv theater teacher and actress and she has very recently published her first book called Langtvik Oli Omjernel and that basically translates to far away and just around the corner. I am so excited for you guys to meet this wonderful wonderful woman. So without further ado, here's Sarah. Assalamu alaikum Sarah, how are you? I am good. Alaikum assalam. I am so 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 excited to have you here because I have literally just finished reading your book and congratulations. Thank you so much. I am super excited to be here as well. I know I mean honestly girl like I'm I'm showing it as if like the listeners <laughs> can see it but honestly like this book I you, I, I kind of connected with you on Instagram before you published it while you were still kind of re, uh, writing the book and get going through the manuscript we were going through both of our manuscripts yes. and so I'm like, oh my god this is this is a pain you know the editing process but I was so excited to get this book because you know being a brown Muslim girl I need that kind of diversity I need to feel included in the authorships so congratulations I think it's a wonderful book and you've done an amazing job with it Thank you so much. I mean, I won't lie. It's a tough process. And the, in the middle of it, you're, you look at your manuscript and you're like, I am so sick of my own words, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then you start questioning your own work and you're like, should, is this what I want to do? And then when you, when you get past all these fears and insecurities, 
and you finally reached a day where you have your own book in your hands. Honestly, it was, I, I'm not a sentimental person, but I cried. I was like, oh finally, my, my book gets to be on other people's bookshelves. Oh, I love that. I, I can't even, I can't even, I'm like listening to you explain it. Like I'm still going through the editing exactly, process like of you mine. Look forward to it. It's just oh. incredible when you get past all the work. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the thing, because mine, I wrote it in English, um, they're translating it to Danish, and then they're going to edit the Danish, and then it's going to be kind of up. So it's like a longer process, yeah. it's taking forever, because actually, it only took me like, I think, four months to actually write the book, mm -hmm. and then the whole process of editing is taking so much time. But that's irrelevant, but I definitely, I'm just saying that to say, I can't wait to Yay. sit with my book and like, yes. feel it in my mouth, because I, I, I think I'm going to cry as well. So there's no shame in that. I, I get love it. it. <laughs> But um, just um, for the listeners, so I've given them a brief introduction of who you are, but in your own words, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Um, so my name is Sarah. I am a Palestinian, born and raised in Denmark. Uh, I'm a writer and a spoken word poet, um, and then I write for TV and theater. So everything related to writing, words, uh, books, performance, uh, that's my biggest passion. So when I'm I not writing, it. I'm uh, I'm also part of a, a theater in Copenhagen where I perform and teach. Yeah, you do like improv, right? Yeah, and I know like improv is usually something that like, oh, it's not real theater, but I promise you it keeps your mind fresh. So I do improvised musicals and I do improvised film noir pieces. So you get on stage with your group and you create an entire story, characters, plot, love, romance, murder, mystery, you know, oh and you only know what happens in the moment you're in. But, you know, you have to work together to create a cohesive story. Yeah, exactly. And that golden rule of always saying yes. And yes, I remember like I, yes. I used to do theater in my teens, but yes. it's a long, long time ago. But I remember like improv, people were like, oh, you just go up and wink. No, no, no. It's actually really hard work. It's a lot of hard work. And I promise you, I am one of the biggest control freaks out there. So I had to force myself to start doing this. And then I took the entire um, improv education and I, I auditioned to become a house team member. And now when I get on stage, it's one of the few places where my brain just has to shut up and I just have to yeah. listen to what happens. Yeah, that's that's really, that's like a threatening scenario for someone who wants to be in control all the <laughs> yes. time. So I'm curious to to, to know, um, so one thing is that you've done like the, the writing for a long time and you've mm -hmm. been writing for different things and for different productions and such, but what what created the book? I mean, where did the inspiration come from? How did this whole thing happen, you know? Well, um, to be honest, it came from a place of, I will say selfishness. So I used to uh, perform a lot with my poetry on stage. And then you'd get off stage and people would be like, hey, where can I read your poems? And I, I would say, well, you can't. <laughs> you have to come see me on stage because you can't take these poems with you home. And I yeah. thought I was being like, this is, the, this is what I want. But I realized it was partly fear, you know. When you're on stage, you own your words in that moment. You know, you have the audience attention for the minutes you're on stage. But with a book, you allow people to take your words at home and they don't have your voice saying, well, what I mean with this poem is this, this and that. And, oh, no, you read it wrong. Here's the, you know. Um, so I kind of had to get past my own selfishness of owning my words and being like, okay, okay, maybe it's about time for me to write this and let people just 
take my book with them home without me being like, no, you can only hear them on stage. Um, I love that you said, you know, like get past your selfishness and share your work, because I think that's one of the things a lot of marketing gurus and entrepreneurs are saying to people, don't be so selfish. So to keep your work for yourself, people need your work, you need to share it. And I, that's what I'm feeling when you're saying the whole like I had to get past my selfishness is like, you're being selfish, because people need to hear what you're doing. And if you're just doing it one, yeah, and it's amazing doing it on stage and getting it live. But I think as you said, because you're like in a book, and I'm sitting and reading it you know um before we started recording I said to you, you know when I was going through like oh so this is this part in the book and I really like that and I was like oh my god please tell me if I got it wrong right because I'm sitting and interpreting with my own feelings but that's I guess what it is with poetry yeah. it is so emotional and you yeah. draw from your own experiences and you you know like I'll connect to certain sentences in the book where other people might not have noticed that sentence they might connect to a completely different one you know it's it's the it's the art of of sharing your work isn't it and I must say it's it's deeply terrifying because when you write spoken word you you, you don't have the space for a lot of metaphors you want people to get what you're trying to say in that moment so it's a different way but when you take poems like that and put them in writing you kind of have to strip away a lot of sentences to let people like read between the lines and not over explain what you're trying to say and what's mm. terrifying is that people can think whatever they want and I, I had a guy and an older gentleman uh, from like in the middle of nowhere send me a comment on my book. Um, so one of the, uh, the poems were about moving from Palestine to Damascus and then ending up in Copenhagen. And he was like, I know exactly what that means. I moved from one city in Denmark to Copenhagen and I felt like an immigrant in my own country. And I just love that message so much that you know, you don't have to be of Palestinian descent or uh, a minority or a woman to, you know, read between the lines and connect with the poetry. I love that. It's so good because it's, as you say, like you don't have to be fit a specific like character or anything. It just is what it is because, you know, you could literally be in the same country and move from one town to the next. And, and yeah, you will feel maybe a little bit like a stranger or someone who don't really know how things are done. I love that he said that to you. Yeah, how that was wonderful. Yeah. Have you, like, have you been receiving a lot of messages from people generally, like after reading the book? I, I must say, like the first week, I, I would get hundreds of messages every single day. And I would take my time to respond every single one because here is a stranger who went out, bought my book and decided to look me up on Instagram and send me a message where mm. I'm like, I so I buy tons of books and I never write people. I'm a little bit shy with writing people I don't know. So I have appreciated every single message and I would take my time and respond to every single one and I had um you know uh, teenagers write me be like hey I wrote this poem would you mind reading it and giving me feedback and I'm like I am so honored and yes I will you know yeah or or, or or younger people also writing me about like, do you think I should get my poems published? And I said, if that's what you want, go ahead. But please remember, the minute you create a piece of art in any form or matter and you send it out into the world and it becomes public, everybody is entitled to their opinion on what you create. And you need to be ready for that because sometimes it hurts and sometimes it's the greatest love you'll ever feel. 
Yeah. I I want to I that's a really good um point and I really want to get on that point in a minute but not right now because I actually before we get to like whether or not you've sort of what kind of perhaps potential criticism you might have received or people who might not have got it from yeah. <laughs> and before we get to that I actually really just want to so the listeners listeners understand a little bit more about the mm-hmm. book because it's actually it's not a huge book, no. but it's got so many huge sentiments to it and emotions. And um, it's, it's, it's split up into sort of like the different travels of your life. Would you care to share that with the listeners? Yes. So uh, I think the easiest way to describe this poetry collection is that I, I tend to call it a poetic autobiography where I, I, um, I look into my Palestinian roots and my parents' ending up in Denmark. I also look into my own travels. And the more you get into the book, the more I go into my own personal feelings. Uh, I also talk about my divorce, about, you know, recovering from that and also allowing yourself to recover from that, because that's not something that I was raised with. Like, I never called my parents and said, oh, I'm not feeling I'm sad or I'm stressed. Like these words would not come out of my mouth in Arabic. It's like, you know, you brush it off, you move on. Um, you know, you, we are raised with like, with, with like tough skin. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I also, I put a lot of value in strength. I consider myself a strong person that people can always call and I'll be there. So I'm, I'm excellent at helping other people. But while writing this book, I was trying to be as honest as possible and I was like, do you help people to help people or do you help people because it makes you feel good? And that was very like humbling to sit there, and, like dissect your own self and then putting it on paper. And then the book is also about Denmark and Copenhagen and about how much I love this country, but also how much I feel that this country is neglecting the minorities, yeah. you know, and, and allowing um, the narrative to be dominated by white voices where I'm like, I don't identify with how you're portraying me or my people. So yeah. a lot of things, uh, every, everything that is important to me and everything in the book is something I've experienced myself. So I wasn't writing about people on the other side of the street, which is also really hard. You put yourself out there in that book. So if people don't like it, you're like, oh, no, they don't like me as a human being. <laughs> Well, that's not what it is because because the, the the truth is, so someone like me, I'll sit and I'll read the book and I'll rejoice because I'm like, oh my God, finally somebody said it, you know, yeah. and they said it so eloquently. So thank you very much for that. But I think the thing about it is um, some of these messages for someone who's not looking like us, you yeah. know, and we're so very different still, but, you know, in Denmark, they'd probably be like, oh my God, are you guys sisters? Because they don't really see the difference in us. But, you know, um, these words can sound like it's criticism, right? Yeah, like it sounds it like criticism rather than open your eyes, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the sentences, uh, I'm going to try and translate sure. it. Yeah. As it goes, or, uh, uh, Muslim woman is okay, does not need to be saved. That one was the first sentence was I was like, amen, sis, preach. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a longer poem. I'm not going to try and, and, and sort of like um, go, like read, the, try and translate the whole thing <laughs> as we're going live and recording. But that sentence, that just spoke a thousand words, you know, and I felt that because I definitely think that that's the, a, a very big narrative that we're yeah. seeing, not only in Denmark, but in the UK, in America, in France. I mean, ev- anywhere really where, what can we say, Muslim women are not sort of... Uh, 
or, or Islam isn't sort of like the dominant religion yeah. at least. And it's a whole narrative of like, stop trying to save me. I'm, yeah. a, I'm all right, you know? And it's it's a victimizing narrative. It's like, as a, as a Muslim minority woman, if you create something, you know, the public will try to look for the trauma behind it. And, you know, and they'll link it to your religion or link it to your parents. Or like, I'm a 35-year-old woman. And one reporter was like, does your mom and dad approve of your book? And I was like, excuse <laughs> me, ma'am, would you be asking a white writer that question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and by the way, yes, they do approve. They're very proud. Thank you for your concern. I, oh, my God. I'm just like, it makes my skin crawl. Because, yeah. okay, so I'm 34 and I had the meeting with my publicist and um, the press person who's going to do the press for when my book comes out. And they said the same thing, like, well, how does your dad feel about it? I'm like, <laughs> What does that have to do with it? Like, what is that? I'm a 34-year-old married Thank woman. You. Like, Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> my dad can have his opinion, but yes. I'm not writing my book for my parents. I'm writing yes. it for me and everybody who's going to read it. <laughs> but also because, you know, it gives you the feeling that they see your book as an act of rebellion. I'm like, I'm not rebelling against anyone. I just love poetry. I love books. I want to be a writer. Let me write in peace. This is not a, my, I'm not a political debate. I'm not rebelling against my religion or pissing off my dad. I just like books. I think it's the thing is about it is because the narrative for so long, especially in, in Danish sort of um, authorship when it comes to brown or ethnic uh, or minority writers is that they will always have had to have been some type of rebellious, rebellious mm -hmm. acts in their writing, sort of like a, a, a come to Jesus moment for these Muslim women where they're like, Islam is the is the, is Satan and um, I have uh, decided to rebel and I'm going to write a book about it. And that's what they've, that's the narrative and all the books they've been publishing for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years so that now when other voices are coming up and saying like hold up islam is actually cool i'm exactly. still muslim i'm happy and i'm not rebelling i'm just serving up facts yeah but also my, like, my experience is also they're like oh so why poetry and i was like as if white people invented poetry and i'm tapping into their art form <laughs> and i would say listen when i was a child i grew up on arabic poetry and like when, when we like an Arab poem is like 45 minutes long, like we take our time. So my yeah. grandmother would be reciting all this beautiful poetry and I would just soak it up with my heart and my soul. And so so I grew up with it and I tried to translate my Middle Eastern love for poetry into Danish. And there you have this Danish reporter be like, so how come you write poems? Or like, is there any Danish writers that you're inspired by? I was like, girl, please. You know, we've been writing poetry before you guys get over yourself, yeah. you know, and, and that's the thing, because you can actually also see the Arabic sort of influence because you do have Arabic sentences and you're sort of yeah. also very um, clearly sort of being like, it's so hard to get the same poetry or the yeah. same beautiful sentence in Danish. It yeah. doesn't exist. No. It's so much prettier. Oh my God, please don't come for me, Denmark. But it's so much prettier in Arabic. But I've also like, I've reflected a lot about languages and I've discovered that like Arabic for me is so much prettier. Um, it's a lot more romantic, but I must say sometimes talking about my feelings or saying stuff like I'm hurt or I don't feel okay is more comfortable for me in Danish for some reason, because I've never spoken about these subjects in Arabic. So, yeah. you know, so both languages serve their purpose inside of me.
Yeah, and I actually also really want to because there's there's quite a lot of the po uh, the the stuff that you're writing in there that really speaks on the whole. Um, now I don't know if it's sort of like the mental health aspect, mm -hmm. but I guess it kind of is really because it is about the whole. I don't know how to say this in yeah. my own language yeah. because we don't have it. Yeah. You know, we don't have it. You know, we have. Well, I don't know if you you call it. Do you call it nerve? Like yeah. anxiety. Yeah. yeah. So we say nerve, yeah. but nerve in Arabic and anxiety is not. It, like it's it's the same word but yeah. it's not the same meaning exactly. and so to reflect those emotions in Arabic they don't exist yeah and it's also because when I hear the word anxiety I, I would picture myself in a fetal position on the floor you know unable to do anything and that's not the kind of anxiety I'm talking about it's that anxiety that comes with not being able to love yourself the way you love other people or being kind to yourself and the way I could explain it is that when I thought of what I went through getting divorced if that was a friend of mine I would have said hey it's okay to be sad. Take your time. Uh, you have to heal. Don't be hard on yourself. You know, just calm down. Where with myself, I was like, oh, well, okay, new chapter done. Brush it off. Get over it. You know, t pick yourself up and move on. So I, I, it's we are instinctively nicer to other people than we are with ourselves. And I think that comes with our culture that we, 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 we nurture everyone around us and we forget to nurture ourselves. Yeah, I think it's, it's very common um, also outside our culture. But I think yeah. with our culture comes the point of, as you said, we don't have the, the, the vocabulary tools to speak of, on it. Yeah. And when we find the words, we then have a cultural stigma yes. that comes with certain words, you know. So it's it's it, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you can either choose not to say anything because you can't find the words, or you can say it, but the words are too many, and then there's stigma attached to it. Exactly, and it's like I, I must say, like growing up hearing people in Denmark talk about stress. I'm like, oh, stress is for white people. I mean, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course you're stressed. Like, I'm not stressed. I'm the oldest of four kids in an Arab household. I got this, you know. Yeah. Where where we also have to allow ourselves as minorities to be like, you know what, stress is not a white phenomenon. It's a human condition. And, and it's yeah. okay to talk about it. And and for me, it came with age. I'm much better at expressing my feelings with my parents than I was 10 years ago. Because I, it's now that I'm starting to realize that these feelings are okay. And you don't always have to be the tough older sister who takes care of everyone else. Mm, yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting because the, the thing is, as I said, there's so many subjects in this book. But it's like you haven't... Um, chosen to just kind of like pick on Danish culture and just leave out sort of like the Arabic culture or your, you know, you've, you've kind of decided to, to be like, well, there's some of this that doesn't quite fit. And then there's some here that doesn't yeah. quite fit. And what I like about it is sort of like, it's it's balanced. It is that whole being multicultural, you know, it's the, it's the new world that we live in where more exactly. and more multicultural people remix babies as, as I heard somebody say once, and I was like, oh my God, that's the beautiful <laughs> term I think I've ever heard in my life uh, to describe somebody like me. Yeah. Um, we're having more and more remixed babies in the world and it means that we do have to be better at acknowledging that just because you're dark-skinned and you live in a white-skinned country you know yes. originally yeah. light-skinned country let's put it that way doesn't make you less of from that country you know and you touch so well on it 
in the book several sentences where you sort of like it's it's re you said uh, you have to have uh, um skin made out of cement to live in this in a society that daily reminds you that you don't belong yeah because that's really what it is in denmark yeah. to be fair i that it just again it just chills absolutely chills because it is it's true you can you, you keep living in a society where people tell you you're not really one of us so you don't actually belong so you're homeless yeah basically and and it's also for me it's like i never like growing up here i never felt that this was not my home every time i feel like this is not my home it's because somebody is actively saying it to me like you will never be one of us uh you can't be a muslim and danish and you, you all these things that so it's an outside influence and obviously when you're younger you take these things to heart and i Like I'm so I kind of I'm I'm blessed that when I grew up there wasn't any social media, but I can't imagine what it feels like being a teenager right now, where you can log on Facebook, and you know you go through the comment section of an article and people are like Muslims don't belong here, you'll never be one of us. Like that must be so damaging to your own self image. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. I I, I feel like I we certainly just kind of got there before social yeah. media you know, came in and because I, I remember like it's not until like I'm sitting down and reflecting that I'm like but I got the same messages because I do remember feeling not quite like everybody else when I grew up but it wasn't because people like my friends would say you're not from here it's the but where you really from yeah you know it's like but I'm from Denmark no but where you really yeah. from and, <laughs> so and it, it's Denmark. funny it, it's funny you say that because My, I, I basically wrote this book as a response to the question, where are you from? And for me, that question, for me, it, it depends on the intention behind the question. If it's an honest, you know, curiosity and willingness to get to know the person in front of you, girl, let me tell you a story. It started in Palestine in 1948 and now we're here, you know, yeah. but if it's a, but where are you from? I mean, you're not from here, right? Like, Is your intention to bring us closer together or is your intention to drive us apart? And for me, that entire book is the answer to where are you from? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to also speak a little bit about, because you also do talk, uh, there's quite a few of your poetry that is about the divorce, which mm -hmm. I found really interesting as well, because it's one of those taboo subjects, yeah. right? It's another one of those, you shouldn't be speaking up about it because shame, 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 right? Yeah, shame will. on you for not holding a husband. Shame on you for getting a divorce. Shame on, you know? And it's like, but it's it's normal. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is like, normal. You want to say that in a loveless marriage? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> so what is it like for you to put something like that, which is very private, but also um, so full of stigma and taboo in our communities, in our cultures? What's that like? It was... I thought a lot a lot about doing it or not doing it. And I decided to do it because I know a lot of women, minority women who are divorced. And it's all the same thing where you get divorced and you're almost embarrassed. Like I remember like my, I'm quite fortunate with my family. Nobody ever, you know, made me feel ashamed. But I did that to myself. I felt like a failure. I had made a promise to God. I had made a promise to this man. I had moved, you know, to the other side of the world to start a new life. And I failed. So moving back to Denmark and starting all over, I was like, I'm not like, I, I felt like I had to justify my divorce. And, and 
my section in the book about divorce has, you know, it's very intentional that I don't mention the um, the nationality of my ex-husband or where I am because it had nothing to do with the fact that he was a Muslim or from the Middle East. You know, I wanted to keep it about the divorce and about the feelings in that time of my life where no matter where you're from, if it's a breakup or a divorce, you can identify with these feelings. But it was extremely terrifying. And I, and I was like, am I exposing myself? But honestly, had I found a, a book written by a minority woman five years ago when I was going through my divorce, I, it would have it saved me a lot of heartache to figure out that it's okay to have these feelings. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that makes it so important because as you say, it's, it's not about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guy. I don't know who you are, but it ain't about you, honey. <laughs> Sorry. But it's it's about the whole, the, the A, the, the human female aspect of yeah. falling in love, thinking this is it, making a commitment to that person in front of God, in front of everybody else, and then that not working out. So that's one aspect. And the second one is the cultural yeah. expectation or the the, the cultural um, understanding of divorce and being a divorcee. And I think it's like, so, so it's like two things, two huge things that both of those emotions, when you go through something like, so I haven't gone through a, a divorce, you know, but I know people who've been divorced yeah. and I know what the conversation is for people who get divorced. And it's, honestly shame on the people who do that you know <laughs> who but, talk it, you know it's like we we don't talk about it like even in my family we're close but we don't talk about you know how that divorce impacts you as a person I had a friend of mine in a similar situation and she overheard her mother telling the neighbors like oh no no he died you know like the, the husband died just to not say that her daughter had gotten divorced you know it's like oh, oh you know Alain Hamha, he's you know he's not wow. with us anymore oh, that's um, like that's sick that's some ball of shit right there and and for me I was like I, I never you know said that my ex-husband was dead and or my family never did that either but it was like I almost wanted to like how can I say this it's like is it it's as if I needed to have a, a, a huge reason to get divorced like was he violent was he abusing you it's like no we were just wrong for each other and if sometimes it felt like that reason was just not good enough it was like oh so you just gave up you know oh I hate that <laughs> you know it's like you know you have to fight marriage is hard I was like it's hard but it's not supposed to be so hard that you can't you know exist you know, but it's, it's not supposed to be torture, you know, yes. it's not supposed to be where you hate each other. It's not, yes. you know, I, I get that marriage is an ebb and flow thing. It's good sometimes and it's a little bit bad and then it gets better and then it gets worse. And I get that. Mm -hmm. But there's there is such a thing as just straight up bad human connections, you know, yes. where you think you're good for each other and everything's right until it's not, you yes. know. And we also have to respect that that's also a valid reason to get a divorce. You yes. Know? But yeah, it's just, absolutely. I just found that because it's, um, now we're trying to get you on Clubhouse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you need to come on. I'm going to try and re-invite you onto that because you absolutely need to go on there Thank because you. You, you do so well on there. Um, but it, we've been talking a lot on Clubhouse, like, because um, it's such a safe space. And a lot of yeah. women are talking about the whole thing about getting a divorce. And there's so many in there who are like, you know, oh, they, they had so much fear around yeah. getting divorces because, you know because what would people say and then when they do it you know they go out there and it feels like a huge risk for yeah. them to get a divorce 
But then, you know, all of the women who are so far on there are either happier now or have found another husband who yeah. is looking after them much better and they're really happy with. So it's like, well, we make mistakes as humans, you know, that's how we've been created. If we made the right decision every time, you know, the, the, the world would be a much better place for all of us. But that's not the case. You know, no. sometimes we make these bad connections so that we can learn from it and make better decisions later. Yeah, right? and, I, and I absolutely think that the more we talk about it within these minority circles, the more, the, the less of a taboo it becomes. Like it's, it's like when you know when I get divorced, when I I would meet people from my own uh, culture or distant relatives saying that I got divorced was like it was almost saying like I have you know I'm I have cancer or like it's it's it was like so horrible to say out loud. Mm. And that was just, and that was from me. That was not anyone else making me feel bad. I just felt that I had betrayed, you know, my my own set of values that I had, you know, disappointed my parents and my family. And you know what? They weren't disappointed because they just wanted me to be happy. But for some reason, it took me a long time to get rid of that feeling that I had failed everyone around me by choosing my own happiness. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I think some of it is so deeply ingrained in us that it just it feels like we're the ones who are doing it. But in reality, it's taught behavior. Mm. It's, you know, it, it didn't come from you on, on its own, like no. that you weren't born with that, you know, feelings, but it's something that's sort of ingrained in you from so early on. Mm. Um, I know we can continue talking about this, <laughs> but I actually want to um, direct the conversation a little bit over to something a little bit different, which is, you know, the uh, uh, inclusivity in the author world, in the book. Yeah world you know because I think this this is I'm seeing at least in the UK and Denmark I'm seeing more and more brown authors coming to light now and also Muslim authors coming yeah. to light and it's 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 a relatively new thing still I it feel is. it really is and I am just I am so passionate about diversity in general because as an avid reader like I consume so many books and I am I reached a point where I was tired of hearing, you know, the human story like love or divorce or death or all these things told by uh, white characters. I was like, why can't and if and if you do have a brown character in a book, there, there's usually a problem, you know, and if she's lucky, she she meets a white man that saves her. And I was like, why can't this story just be told from a brown perspective or from a Muslim perspective? And I just for me, the, the need to find books where I'm like, I know exactly how this feels. Not that I don't, you know, um, not that I can't relate to white authors because a lot of my favorite authors are white, but I feel the importance of having diversity on the bookshelves, on your TV. And I think in Denmark, we're just too slow. Uh, and Absolutely. One, one part is like the whole, you know, the publishing world in itself. But I think as a minority, you often sit back and think, are my words good enough? Is my story good enough? Should I should I even send this manuscript? I know of so many people who just never send in their manuscript out of fear. Yeah. Oh, I was sitting on mine for 10 years. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> like, should I? Because <laughs> uh, you never see, you never see those minority voices on your bookshelf. So obviously you'd be like, uh, you know, probably not for me. You also, know, for, for me, it was the the fear of um, 
one you know because i'm i'm I, i'm a i'm a rebellious type of person i do say things that nobody else wants to mm. say and i'm proud of that because that's just a part of my character that i quite like about myself yes. but i knew that i'd also write with that voice you know the whole oh we don't want to talk about this well let me just put it you know black on white then so that you can really read it reread <laughs> it if you need to right like that's me and so my story i knew uh, and I already know now, and I've already pre-warned my publishers, and they also know and everything that it will make some people highly offended. Of course, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and so my concern, I think, I had to kind of mature with the book a little bit because I was like, yeah. "How do I really want to write it?" Yeah. You know, because I can write it so that all the Muslim aunties and uncles who are stuck in some type of world that isn't quite the world we are in anymore are yeah. going to be like okay I can accept this book as a Muslim author having written it or am I going to do it for the young Muslim women who are living this life yeah. or am I going to do it for the white person and yeah. in the end I chose the Muslim women who are living that life yeah. um, I was like I need to represent myself here because I'm not represented you know well now I am because your book is out but you know <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it <laughs> But but honestly, uh, what you're saying is um, it's so important because I was also like, uh, uh, some people are going to hate this book. And I, you know, and I must say there's been quite a few angry middle aged white men, you know, and, mm -hmm. and like and and I had to, you know, be of that age where I can handle that hate. You know, so one of the poems that in the book are about, you know, f uh, I call it Facebook racist, like people who, you know, hide behind uh, uh, yeah, like keyboard a, yeah, keyboard warriors who's like, fuck off, fuck you Muslims, all that shit. And you don't, you're not accountable for all the hate you send out in the world. So I, one of the newspapers and in, in the biggest newspapers in Denmark, they recorded that video of me performing it. And I, I and I don't read comments I I saw that on Facebook, yeah. wasn't it? So I yeah, don't read it. comments on anything that I'm in because I I treasure my sanity. But my mother <laughs> called me and she was like, "Oh my God, Sarah! I never knew they hated us so much." And I was like, "Mom, it's okay. Don't read the comments. And if you are offended about a poem about Facebook racism and why it shouldn't be okay, then you are." a Facebook racist or like a keyboard warrior. So it's okay. You just exposed yourself. You have a wonderful day. But like yeah. you have to mature enough in order to be able to ha handle that because it's quite aggressive. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. And I like how you said you have to grow into that. You have to be like mature enough to handle it because there's, uh, you know, well, I can't speak for everybody else, but I couldn't have done it, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> Same thing. And that's why I mean, when you said, am I writing this for a white audience or which audience am I writing it? And I just, just decided to write it the way I feel it, which will piss off a lot of white people. Um, but that's okay. The majority will not be pissed off because I, I don't say anything that I haven't felt. So I, I, when, especially when it's about racism, it's not an abstract concept. It's about racism and how it feels in my body in that moment. And that you can't really argue. No, exactly. Exactly. It's not like a research uh, exactly. type of study book or something like that. I, I need, I need, honey, I need some tea. You know, you need to spill some tea. I want to hear some of this, these, these, these white men racist. <laughs> 
like what's the what's the number one thing that they've said about the book like what is it do they have anything valid to say well, or is it the thing. a lot of them are not people who buy the book a lot of them are people mm. who see one poem online and then obviously um it is one of the more aggressive poems that the newspaper wanted to film and i said you know what i'm just gonna say your readers are not gonna love that because i think most of them are racist you know, i was quite i was quite blunt you know it was on their you know um somi platform mm. and, and uh, it, the poem is about like it, it's a quite it's a funny poem i wrote a funny poem about racism <laughs> <laughs> you know like it. but it's about like you know i'm sure you never had a brown friend so you just don't know better or you know i i kind of expo expose the silly things they say that oh you know muslims they come to our countries they take our jobs and all muslims are drug dealers and terrorists and then i'm like so excuse me sir but what kind of job do you have that can be taken from a drug dealer and a terrorist you know yeah it's about, like the funny banter but like come on it's silly yeah. Um, and the amount of hate I get on that poem is like, who the fuck does she think she is? And I'm like, you're just proving my point, you silly yeah, man. Exactly. You're proving my yeah. point. And you know what? I didn't write a book for white men, middle aged white men. Say, it's funny okay. because they're not your audience anyway, they're is not it? My audience. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like, well, honey, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna go out and buy the book, then why are you so concerned? <laughs> I, I, I am fine, you know, but yeah. I, knew, I I was worried. I must be honest and say I was worried about the section in the book that it talks about racism because people will get offended. But I will just stand by my point and say, if you get offended by poems about racism, odds are you're probably part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you encountered anybody yet who've sort of reached out to you and said, "Oh, that's not true," like about the racism in Denmark? Um, I I had a few. I so I did a, a radio interview and a, a woman, an older woman, wrote me, um, and I performed that poem online. And she said, uh, "I heard you on the radio. Um, you were great. However, you must uh, admit that most um, Muslims in Denmark cause problems." <laughs> And wow. I wrote, okay. I just wrote back. Thank you so much for listening. Can I see the receipt on that? Like, where, where did you get these facts? the data? Also, <laughs> yeah. I know I will not admit it because that's not my opinion. But you have a wonderful day. It's not the truth. Exactly. Like, alone an opinion. Like, it's not the truth, you know. <laughs> and I must say also, it depends on the messages. If it's with that tone, I will respond. But when it's spiteful, angry, and hateful... I just don't want to invest my energy in responding to that message or just giving it, feeding it energy. So I, I don't respond to hateful comments. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because um, was in speaking of inclusivity and being a female Muslim brown author in a predominantly white Christian country, mm -hmm. do you think that the, and uh, how do, how do I say this? Because it, <laughs> You know, like, do you think that you and I have only been published or got a publishing deal because we write about being Muslim and ethnic? Could we also have written Sex and the City with four white women and still that would have been interesting? Like, do you get my question? Yes, I do get your question. And in an ideal world, I would say, of course not. But I do think it is because what my experience is that it's not just a book, it's a package deal. And when you are a minority Muslim woman, that's 
you know, it has this, it's like breaking news, a brown woman is writing a book. Oh my God, tell your neighbors. And that's because there's not a lot of us doing it. So yes, I, I do think it is part of the allure. Um, and I and I must say, I, I, I didn't take the traditional route in sending a, um, a manuscript to a publisher because I know that it's a benefit that I'm brown and female and minority. So I looked up the editor on LinkedIn, sent her a video of me performing a poem, and I wrote, I'm writing a book, want to have coffee, which is a little bit like I was like feeling myself that day. I was like, OK, I love it. And yes, I, but, but I, wrote, I did, but I wrote in the message, look, if you watch my video and think this girl is absolutely, you know, without talent, it's okay. I appreciate you just watching it. And within half an hour, she wrote back, oh my God, yes, let's do coffee. You know, and I just, it was such a huge win. I was like, I, I made this meeting happen. Of course, yeah. it does matter that I'm Muslim, I'm a woman and brown and the whole thing. And, and, I've come to the point where it's okay. Like it's not, I I am still equally valid as a writer, you know? So it doesn't take away any of my love for literature. It just opens a few doors, doors. And you know what? In history, it's very rarely that being a brown Muslim woman opens any doors. doors. So if it does now, girl, walk through. Hammer (laughs) through. Take that chance make your money do you you know yeah oh i love that message i absolutely love that message and it's the same like if, if life gives you lemons you don't throw them out and complain that you're thirsty right you don't want lemonade so it's the, it's the same thing like if you get a chance because of it take it you know I there's no shame. but then make sure that you use your platform in a responsible way right so that's the thing when you've been given the platform so now more people know about you because you've come out with the book yeah. but now you have I would say, and I, I will, I'm going to have the same responsibility in a few yeah. months' time yeah. when my book comes out, is is it's not just about the book. Now you have a, an even bigger voice, you know? Yeah. And I dare say, you know, and admit to the listeners now and stuff, like, I don't know if you've thought about it, but you've got the responsibility now to make sure that that platform is not waste on you, exactly. wasted on you for yeah. my, my <laughs> I mean, it's a huge responsibility, but honestly, every single day I get a, a, a message or an email from a, a teenage boy or girl who picks up my book and says, finally, I read something that I completely identify with. It makes my day. And it also like emphasize the point that our stories are valid. I don't have to write a sci-fi novel about a different galaxy in order to be validated. I can write about being Muslim. I can write 20 books about being Muslim and that story is still interesting and valid. Yeah, absolutely. I freaking love it. I I could continue, like we could continue on this conversation, but we are coming up on time yeah. though now. Um, so we are going to have to round up a little bit here. I'm just so much you've said already. I'm just so in love with, I'm in love with you. I'm in love Aww. with your book. I'm in love with you. It is what it, there I said it. <laughs> I said yeah, it. <laughs> but um I want I want everybody else all the listeners to connect with you as well and fall in love with you as well because I know they will so where can they connect with you the easiest place to find me is on Instagram so my Instagram handle is Sarah no H Rahme CPH um so good luck finding me <laughs> I'm going to put the link to um, Sarah's Instagram in the show notes. So make sure you go and check her out. Give her a follow. Give her a like. You know, we need more women like her 
in Denmark in the world is is what it is. Is there any way where the international listeners can read some of your poetry in English? Well, if they uh, follow me on Instagram, I do have a couple of videos out that are spoken word uh, poems in English, and I'm going to be posting a lot more English content because I, I've. I have recordings of my English poems, but I, again, I'm super selfish. I've been hiding them, oh, but I, those are mine. <laughs> but now I, I've built the confidence to start sharing that more. So it will come. Okay. Well, do yourself a favors, all listeners, go and follow her on Instagram and check out her poetry because it, you know, in in one sentence, she absolutely slays, you know, racists and she co completely covers every subject and she's such a great talent. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for sharing your story with me. Thank you so, so much. It was my pleasure. No, the pleasure was all mine. Trust me. And this book, I keep tapping on. I'm like, I freaking love it. Um, <laughs> it is going to have a place on my bookshelf for the rest of my life of pride and glory. And when, when the lockdown is over, we're going to have to have coffee and you're going to have absolutely, to sign it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Salam alaikum. Alaikum salam. Thank you so much for listening in to today's episode. If you want to connect with me elsewhere, you can find the links to my socials on zarapedersen.com. Before you go, I'd love it if you could leave me a review or tell a friend about the podcast. And if you're new here, you might as well subscribe. You'll be back. I know it. You know it. There's no point in delaying the commitment. Welcome to the sisterhood, babe. Until next time, please don't forget to live in love.